Do you want to bring balance to all the wireless radiation fields in your life, including 5G? The Omnia Radiation Balancer is a small sticker you can stick on any device. It changes the state of the field and creates a new resonance between the wireless radiation and your energy field. On the link below you'll see all our testing results that show how the body responds excellently once you've made this change in your life. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. It's easy to bring balance back to your body with the Omnia Radiation Balance. How many masks do we need to wear to be safe? Yeah. My first four. Somebody posted a video of a guy putting, somebody posted a video of a guy in an airplane putting on four masks. Oh, yeah. I saw that and he was really into it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I, like, that's almost like suicide. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, like you're trying to suffocate yourself. Right. Well, I um, mean, the cortisol levels go skyrocketing because your lungs are working so much harder to breathe yeah. in and out. And yeah. cortisol is a stress hormone that will destroy your body. I mean, it just destroys you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Exactly. Um, exactly. Welcome back, guys. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this week, we are joined by Jack Doubleday. Jack is an American writer, researcher, stone worker, videographer, among many other things. He spent 23 months, I believe, at the Bosnian Pyramids doing research there. We're going to get into a lot of... I would say more earthly based stuff. We're always up in space, you know, talking about all that stuff, but we're going to ground everything today and get into some of the stuff that's happening here on earth. And Jack has done some great research and we're excited to have him on the show. And before we get started, don't forget uh, tickets for the conference are on sale May 2nd through the 5th, Grafton, Illinois, uh, $444, four days, 12 speakers includes meal plan. Live stream tickets are available for $111 if you can't make it in person. Uh, we're really excited about that. It's coming right up around the corner. So stay tuned for some. Uh, we're going to be doing some roundtables, getting some of the speakers on. We're going to be having a lot of fun with that. And uh, you guys know the promo codes. Those are all in the description below. Omnia Radiation Balancer and Hopewell Farm CBD. And we might be affiliating with um, our friend Mason Fury. We've had on the show before. Um, he uh, has some amazing organite pyramids and uh, we might be working with him too. So stay tuned for that um jack 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 i almost called you jack jack how's it going yeah. over there man a lot of people uh they don't believe that my name's really jock so um they call me josh usually they if they i say my name is hi i'm jock they go hi josh i mean there's not a <laughs> lot of people with that name it's a scottish name my dad was named jock and uh, my dad's uncle was named jock and uh so um it's it's not a nickname saying that I'm uh, an athlete. It's my actually my name, but people seem to have um, you know some some problem with it because it's unusual, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. This whole episode's about your your nickname. Um, yeah. <laughs> how, how Jack is not an athlete. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, if you have a name like that, you know, you're pretty much destined to be uh, on the fringes. So that's that's why I'm here today is because of my name. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Right. Um, 
So you've um, obviously you you take your work very seriously, and I've seen some of your videos on you know continental terraforming and um, expanding Earth theory, which is really fascinating to me. Uh, so can you just give us like a brief background on how you got into this stuff and what you really want to bring forward today? Because this is all fascinating stuff that's not really common knowledge. Well, that's an understatement, Tyler. Yeah, it's not really common knowledge. Um, I mean, it's it's just a theory right now, a continental terraform theory. It's just it's just a, a theory that I'm proposing uh, sort of as a um, a balance to the natural geology theory, the origin of continents. It's a it's a it's an odd tale, you know, that I have to tell because I'm a writer, I'm a playwright and a screenwriter. And I just started a, a, a film company last year called Arcturus Light Films to to make uh, my 30 years of screenplays into films, so sci-fi, fantasy, fairy tale uh, films. But I got I don't want to say but I I took an I took a <clears throat> A diversion, a road, a road less less often taken for for a writer, which was to go into archaeology. Um, in 2011, I volunteered for the Bosnian Pyramids Project. Uh, they had a program that started in 2010 for volunteers to come for four months every summer. You know, when the when the pyramids were safe to work on. Uh, because you weren't slipping off, you know these uh, forty-three point five degree angle slopes uh, of the of the pyramids, and uh, excavating those, excavating Ravne Tunnel, which is the prehistoric tunnel that's part of the system that was also discovered by Semiros Nagic in two thousand and six, I believe. Uh, the pyramid complex was discovered in two thousand five, and the tunnel soon thereafter. He asked the children of the of the village of Visoko, which is centered in the Bosnian pyramid complex if they played in a tunnel or a cave and they said, oh yeah, we, cause he knew he'd, he'd, he'd been an adventurer around the world. He'd uh, been uh, exploring pyramid complexes all around the world for 10 years and was writing books on him. He was, he's a real life Indiana Jones. And he came back to his native country of Bosnia and was, was invited to go to Visoko, which is in the heart of the Bosnian pyramid complex and uh, to see the museum. He'd never been to Visoko, even though Bosnia is a pretty small country, he'd never been to this little village. So he went to the museum, and as soon as he got there, he noticed that there is this um, hill. It's called Visočica Hill, and Visoko and Visočica refer to the, the, the uh, it means high. Um, so you, when you're on top of Visočica Hill, you have a vantage point, as you would, let's say, this uh, Matterhorn in, in, in the background here. If you were on top of that, you could see everything. Well, that's exactly what it is uh, in Bosnia. So the kings of old would build their fortresses uh, on top of this Visočica hill, and he and Semir said, "That's a pyramid." You know, you know, he's he, he's been exploring for ten years. He knows what a pyramid is. He <laughs> got out his compass. He saw it was oriented to the cosmic north. He went on top of it that day right away. Brought some people up and saw another pyramid across the Fornica River. Started naming naming the pyramids, and he knew he was going to get ridiculed for this because no one had seen them because they have a different kind of building than the pyramids on the Giza plateau than the Central American and South American and Mexican pyramids. It's, a, it's more natural looking. So people hadn't realized it. And people are living on the side of the pyramid today thinking it's a mountain. Um, and when they dig down, they find these stones, which are, you know, we could Please. say, uh, well, they're, they're obviously artificial if you know they're artificial. But if you're not looking for that, mm -hmm. the sizes of them and the shapes of them are so odd 
they're not molded in this in 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 a Roman way where, where it's right angles. They're 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 different shapes. There's curves in them. There's no no two stone is no stone is the same as another stone. So I wrote an article called "No Two Stones Are the Same" on my An American in Bosnia uh, site uh, WordPress site. So you can get that article. It's 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 un unbelievable. Hundreds of millions or more, maybe billions of artificial clay stone construction stones in the Bosnian pyramid complex, and we haven't found one that's identical to another stone. So the homeowners digging down for their foundations were finding these interesting looking things, but who could really say for sure that they were artificial? So, oh, well, just cart them off. And that's what happened for centuries. So they're living on the side of this massive pyramid, which is, which is, except for Ritania Mountain in Serbia, Eastern Serbia, it's the, it's the tallest documented pyramid in the world. Uh, Ritania Pyramid actually is uh, 1,565 meters. The Pyramid of the Sun in Bosnia is 220 officially meters, and the Great Pyramid on the Giza Plateau, for reference, is 147. So 220 versus 147, pretty big, right? But actually, it's much bigger than that because, as I as I found, if you follow the topography down to the riverbed, it does join the riverbed, in which case it's about 380, 390. Uh, meters tall, which is astounding compared to 147 for the Great Pyramid, which is quite a large structure, you know. So um, I went to volunteer uh, in the summer of 2011. I wrote to the foundation. I said, I do stonework and I'm, you know, I'm excited to, <laughs> to help you, you know, and, and I sent my stonework pictures and I thought they'd be like, oh, he's a friend of a shovel, you know, he'll Let's have it be a volunteer. And they're like, oh, our, pro our program is full for this summer. Thank you for writing. And I was like, I'll see you soon. Because what, what I'm gonna, if I show up, are they going to say, we can't use your help, sir? No, I figure I'll just show up. I'll pay my way. I'll buy a shovel. I'll buy 10 shovels for the foundation because I'm excited about this. It's, it's an interesting, uh, fascinating mystery. Why are there pyramids in Bosnia? So um, I went out there. Uh, a friend who who I'd met through the social media Bosnian pyramids networking, which back then was really small. There was almost nobody that believed in pyramids in Bosnia. So it was just me, <laughs> this yeah. guy, and a, a few other people. And you know, um, he he found me and he said, "Oh, um, I'm a Croatian researcher. I've been doing research uh, on the in the Bosnian pyramid complex for for years. Can you come out and film me doing my my science in the complex? And I'll." pay for your food and lodging for two weeks. And I was like, awesome. So, you know, I did that with him. And then he took me to meet Samir, but we didn't arrange a meeting. You know, Samir's pretty busy. So um, it was at the, it was, <laughs> I, you know, I write comedy as well as drama. And this is a, a rather comedic tale uh, of meeting Samir, but um, he's always mobbed by the, by the tourists. He's mobbed by the Bosnian natives who love him. They call him the doctor. He's like the guy who read all the books. He, He's got a PhD in uh, Mayan studies. His uh, book, uh, The World of the Maya, it's a PDF, free PDF online, is so astonishing. It's It'll keep you on the edge of your seat all day long. It is, he is, he is it's, it's, it's the tale of a real life Indiana Jones, as I mentioned. It's it's unbelievable. So um, his, his uh, learning, his wisdom, his soft-spokenness, yet, yet firmness, 
his ability to manage a big crew of archaeological park foundation uh, employees to, to excavate the Bosnian pyramid complex. He's an astonishing fellow and people just flock to him and everyone wants a selfie with him, you know? Yeah. So uh, I was, I was waiting for him to be free just so I could say, Hey, I'm the, I'm that guy who wrote you that email. Like he would even know <laughs> that he's not, he's not answering those emails. Somebody else yeah. is. Exactly. But I was so naive. I was like, remember me? I'm the stonework guy. <laughs> so um, uh, he, I, I had to wait for him to go. To, he was walking to his car because he was going to Sarajevo. And I was sort of I started to talk to him a little bit and he got into his car and was like, oh, my God, I ha- he just got into his car and I haven't asked him yet if I could volunteer. And uh, so I got into his car. <laughs> I would never do this in a million years. <laughs> I'm pretty shy. I would never get into somebody's car unless they said, please get into my car, you know? So yeah. I got in his car and he, he turns it to me and he goes, why are you in my car? <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> Who are you? and I was like, I could see that he was, he was in a rush and <laughs> he was very nice. He said in a very nice way, but he just wanted to know why I was in his car. He thought I wanted to ride to, to Visoko and he's like, well, I'm going a different way. Uh, Sarajevo and Visoko are different roads. So, and uh, I said, here are the seven things I can do for you. I do stonework. Uh, I'm a friend of a shovel. You know, I just went on. And and he said, um, organize a scientific conference. I'll give you a hotel room and then breakfast. And, and I said, okay. And I got out of his car and he went to Sarajevo. So I organized a scientific conference. Uh, it's an international scientific conference. It was the second one of six now of scientists who had been to the complex and performed research on various aspects of the Bosnian pyramid complex, including many things in Rodney Tunnel, which is an astonishing labyrinth. And we can get into that if you want to. It's unbelievable. Right. Yeah, there's a lot I want to get into about the actual pyramids themselves and and a lot of theories and stuff that I read online and videos I see that I don't I can't prove one way or the other. And I just uh, I, I find it very fascinating, even even as I, I just read that the, apparently the funding was cut like a year ago. So there's no research or no further digging or anything happening on the pyramids now because it wasn't attracting enough tourism. So they just cut all funding and stuff. I don't even know if that's accurate. Well, the the, the drama uh, of the Bosnian pyramid complex is, is astounding because academia was against it and they attacked it from day yeah. one. And then they went silent when they couldn't shut it down with lawsuits and petitions to the Bosnian government to shut it down. Then they went silent on it. So it's basically verboten to talk about um, Bosnian archaeology of any kind, uh, not just the pyramid complex. But if it's from Bosnia, we don't want to hear about it. Um, So that's academia. Um, And the fossilized leaves that have been found uh, underneath some of the construction clay on the Bosnian pyramid of the sun have been carbon dated to 34,000 years which means that at a minimum, it's somewhere around 34,000 years, give or take a couple hundred years, um, which is sets the history of building back, not necessarily human building, but the building back uh, on Earth uh, quite a bit because Gobekli Tepe is supposedly 12,000 years ago. Right. Yep. And, and that's the big world changer, game changer, you know. Right. Well, there's like, I think Graham Hancock, Graham Hancock thinks, I said Hancock, Hancock. <laughs> uh, Graham Hancock thinks that, uh, his speculation is the pyramids in were in Egypt were built 36,000 years ago or 36,000 BC. So that's his speculation. Obviously mainstream hasn't uh, caught on. I think they're at least that old. Right. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Bosnian pyramids are that old in my opinion. Easily. 
Right. Well, Samir just keeps doing science and and, and hopes that uh, people will engage the science because there's so much drama with personalities around, you know, ancient history. And it's a, it's always a cult of personality battle. And it's like, why? Let's just do the science. He keeps he keeps saying that, you know, out, yeah. just outright says that. Let's do the science and see. Let's what, do the science, please. We're, we're wasting energy. So, not, um, not the covid science, though. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> science. I right. I know. <laughs> yeah. If we go down that rabbit hole, we'll never get back to the pyramids. But no, uh, exactly. no, no. Yeah. Stay yeah, on track. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, well, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. it is, it is all, it's, it is all a thought control matrix. It, it, it's, it's all about the thought control matrix. So, yes. Um, yes. a lot of ancient history uh, researchers talk about amnesia. They say humanity is in a state of amnesia. We've forgotten who we are. We, we, we have essentially PTSD from these cataclysmic events. And we, we said, no, we don't want to remember. And so we're in this state. I would su suggest that we take it one step further and say humanity has never known who we are. We've always been in the thought control matrix. And one step further, perhaps we could say that we're in a conscious, consciously controlled state of hypnosis. In other words, mm -hmm. are the thought control matrix creators um, constantly bombarding us with frequencies that keep us from being telepathic, that keep us from remembering who we are. Um, right. If you're a farmer, you don't bring the livestock in and then set up the fences. You set up the farming system, then you bring the livestock in. So I think on day one, when we were created, the farming system, the thought control matrix was set up and we have never known our potential, our power, our yeah. beauty, our, our, our incredible connection. To, I feel, to I feel like that's very accurate. Yes. I think so too. It would make a lot of sense too. And that's why it's been so easy for them until now, everybody's until now. starting to question and everything's chaotic, but I agree hundred percent. And that's a great like analogy. Now their system's crumbling and they're scrambling to try to keep it going, but, but they can't cause it's like, there's like this inevitable awakening and destruction right. of the old system happening that they can't stop. It's like, they can't stop it. And it's almost like they know that now. So they're just trying to, delay things as long as possible cause as much chaos and destruction and fear as possible on their way out you know it's it's yeah it's i agree i agree like. and and the uh the the funny thing is is that they have <clears throat> these paper thin systems set up that if we ever ask the question are we in the thought control matrix we could just blow on it and it and it falls falls, falls yeah. apart like like exactly parts, you know exactly so um, Wikipedia is such a joke because that's so obviously a control system. And I'll, I'll give you some photographic examples oh, of this. It's it's yeah. unbelievable what Wikipedia. they do. It's so it's so elementary and so sort of like like a like a 10, 10th grader who wants to be a magician and he learns his first trick. That's basically what Wikipedia is. It's that elementary yeah. and that's stupid i mean it's just oh my god you know <laughs> Agreed. But you have to be able to ask the question are we in a thought control matrix is there someone behind this who doesn't want us to know because otherwise you'll just think oh it must be true you know yeah wikipedia said it It must be true right yeah. the authorities say that it must be true yeah it's, and you get stuck in this it's it's mind control that's literally what it is it's yep. and, you and think, think something's oh, true because you're told by something you you perceive as an authority that's right. literally simplified. 
And people think mind control is, oh, that's some kind of weird woo-woo sci-fi stuff with machines. And it's like, well, there might be some machines broadcasting some frequencies, but the basic mind control is simply gaslighting you by repetition, just telling you over and over and over. And we're going to get into that with joint fractures in geology. Exactly. Um, and, and I have I have a, quite a little slideshow for you. My, we, we used to live in Ecuador when I was a kid. We were there for three years and we'd go to, down to Peru and, um, well, you know, we had these butterfly nets and we'd go, you know, go after butterflies like these crazy Europeans running around um, Peru, you know, in the forests <laughs> going, going yeah. look at that butterfly, you know. Um, and so my dad would take photos of everything and they needed to have these slideshows and he had the carousel, you know, and he'd click. And the next slide would come up on the screen and the family would sit there and look at the slideshow of what we did, you know. And so I feel like that's what we're doing here. I'm just carrying on dad's tradition of the slideshow. <laughs> so yeah. I have all the images set up for you. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. Um, well, yeah, like uh, the mind control, just tell their whole thing is tell a, a lie so many times, repeat a lie so many times until it becomes true. And then it's like a consensus reality. Enough people believe it that it actually becomes a reality uh, for those people, which we talk about yeah. all the time, but going back to the pyramids, um, yeah. so th- something have you, do you know about those metal rings that I'm reading about those big metal rings that they're finding towards the top of the pyramids? Yeah, that was, uh, I remember reading about that when I first started researching the Boston pyramids. And, uh, I think that those were for, for ships when there was, um, when the water level was much higher there. So it was more modern? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, well, go ahead. No, I, that, I just remember, I remember that. That's, it's been like literally, it's been 10 years since I remember re- reading about that. But yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, the metal rings. There's so many. See, the thing about the Bosnian Pyramid Complex is so amazing to me is that it's all still a mystery. We keep discovering more things, but we don't understand it's, it's more mysteries. It's not more answers, you know? So, so it's compelling to me. I'm really attracted to that, that complex, really attracted to it. Right. It's like Oak Island. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, right. All these mysteries, doesn't it, doesn't it, doesn't it draw you? I mean, it, to me, it really draws me. Yeah. You know? No, that's yeah. like, it's a, it's almost a passion for me. Like it, it literally drives, drives me. Like I love it. I could, I could drop everything and go explore the pyramids or Oak Island or something until we find the answers. Like, I'm just like driven by that stuff, um, fueled by that stuff. So I totally uh, understand your passion for it. Absolutely. Well, if you ever uh, want to go out to the Bosnian pyramids, uh, I'd be happy to to go with you. And I wouldn't take the role of a guide exactly because um, I don't want to tell anyone what to see. You know, that's the problem with guides. They're telling you what to see. I'd rather be, and that's the problem with geology teachers. They take on a field trip and they go, this is what you're looking at. And it's like, why don't you just have them look at it and they'll tell you what they're looking at, you know? Yeah. Um, but it would be fun to to, uh, to revisit the Bosnian pyramids and go into the riverbed and see what you thought. And, and so right now, um, see the riverbed is the key to it all. This is the genesis of the continental terraforming theory. That's that's why we're talking about the Bosnian pyramids. If if we say this talks about continental terraforming, well, I have to talk about the Bosnian pyramids because it was there that this this odd idea started to occur to me based on what I found in the riverbed. Um, if you want, I can go into the the riverbed exploration. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, and I think you've used the term artificial riverbed, right? <laughs> yeah. So explain that. 
I've, since, since I started researching 9-11 and vaccines and everything, I've had to start most of my conversations with, this is going to sound crazy, but. Yeah, <laughs> been there. And so I'll just do that again, you know. Um, it's going to sound crazy, but here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> but it just, I just want to, because it's important that people understand that I'm, I, I wasn't just sitting in my chair and I came up with this idea. Oh, the earth is shaped like a triangle that flies with wings of a dove. No, I, <laughs> I didn't just come up with an idea. I was I was literally in the field for, for 23 months in Bosnia every single day, except for maybe four or five days when I was in Serbia or down in Sarajevo at a conference, but I was in the field every day. I woke up in a pyramid complex. And by the way, in, in the pyramid complex, I only needed five hours of sleep. And normally I need eight hours of sleep. So you can uh, have yeah, the, the yeah. frequencies there. I've heard Sam talk about the frequencies in the tunnels and even the energy beam that's being shot up as high as they can measure. Uh, yep. we can yeah, I, was, I, I don't know if you know who Ken, Ken Rolla is, but I was just yep. the other day I was listening He's awesome. I was listening to an old presentation of his and he was talking about the Bosnian pyramids and how he's like, yeah, people are going in there and getting healed of all these diseases and stage four cancer and all these crazy things because of, I guess, the frequency that's that's inside of there. It's like that the he, it's like the frequency that we're supposed to be that's supposed to be on the surface, but it's been tuned away from that. But right. those those chambers underneath, for some reason, still resonate at that frequency. Yeah, the the Robney Tunnel Labyrinth, we can go into this later, um, has the 7.83 um, Schumann resonance uh, healing energy in there, but it has many other features, and we can talk about those. It, it, there are so many healing testimonials, it's astounding, and they have a lot of them on video. And nice. people can see a playlist of healing testimonials of, of people that I interviewed who had just been in the tunnels and come out and, and were like, what, what the hell just happened? Parkinson's disease gone, uh, chronic sinus infections gone, endless stuff. So it's, it's way more than I have. I mean, there's there's hundreds of testimonials. I have a few on my healing testimonials uh, playlist, which is the Bosnian Pyramids YouTube channel. So you have to type in the whole friggin' URL because YouTube, you can't, it won't come up. You have to type well, in. Well, yeah, if, if you, Bosnian Pyramids, if you type it in on YouTube, you're gonna get a bunch of videos that say it's been debunked. Debunking. I, yeah, yeah, I already found that. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, but, but yeah, um, I need to be healed. So let's book that trip and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll you see go. you over there. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, the foundation, just to be clear, doesn't make healing claims for the tunnels. What they do is they push out the the people's testimonials saying I got healed. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, this is what happened. It's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Cause there, there, you know, this lady was, this lady goes, um, on video, uh, in Bosnian, she's saying, um, my hearing came back. I don't have to use a hearing aid anymore. Thank God. Thank, thank the gods. Thank the gods. You know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But go to my channel, look at the healing testimonials playlist. I mean, you got you got endless uh, testimonials. So we'll get to that. But um, and we'll get to the scalar conundrum uh, beam on the positive pyramid of the sun. It's astounding, and I have a whole folder for that. So the riverbed. I was there for say. <clears throat> See, I was there for three months as a volunteer, but then I went back to the States and I kept in touch with Semir uh, because I was writing articles on the Bosnian pyramids, ancient history. And I sent I sent him the, this long chronology of the attack that academia made on um, the Bosnian pyramid complex. The article is called The Mysterious Anti-Scientific Agenda of Robert Schock. Now, um, it's not about personalities, but in this case, I, ha I have to use the name of the person who was basically slandering the people involved in the Bosnian pyramid complex 
and um, not using science. Mm. If he was using a scientific method to, to say, no, this is just natural hills, that's great. That's great. But he wasn't doing that. He yeah. was performing anti-science and I just document it. So um, this long article, and it's just, he's just the tip of the iceberg. All of academia came down hard on this thing, man. They really tried to shut it down. And Robert Schock is a, he's like where Grant Hancock is, you know, he, he gets into the alternative. Yeah, he's an alternative but, but guy. He, yeah. I've heard him on a radio show, actually. I was watching him on Fade yeah. to Black. And he was he was slandering the Bosnian. They both were. They were talking about, oh, oh it's just it's just a hill. Yeah, it's, there's nothing proving it's a pyramid. Blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing is, is when a structure like, is that what? when a structure is that ancient, we don't know the building techniques, and it's not going to look familiar. We're acting like they're going to use the sim- same techniques that we understand. And right. yeah, something exactly. like who are these ancient builders and these ancient archaeologists? Like we don't know anything about them, and you have to open your mind and and basically. You know, you have to look at it from a different perspective if you want to understand it. Exactly. Right. I think um, many times in my videos, I said exactly what you just said, which is that the they don't build in the same way that we do. We would build this hill in a different way. Um, they have a different idea of how to build things. That's just the, it's, but but the building is clear. Um, in other words, there's there's compelling evidence that it's built. And I'm just pre- going to present that evidence today, but I want to show you the genesis of the theory. So we're going to be in the riverbed in the Bosnian pyramid complex. Now, the, the main structures of this complex um, are sort of bisected by this little uh, meandering river called the Foynica River, F-O-J-N-I-C-A. And it goes north through the complex. Very few rivers flow north, uh, joins the Bosna River in Visoko. That's why Visoko is there in the heart of the complex, because these two rivers join and they both flow north as the Bosna or Bosnia River, Bosna Rijeka. Okay. Now, this north flowing Bosnia River is, is interesting because, like I say, very few rivers flow north. And I think it's, it, it's an interesting thing um, that th- this should be explored. Why are these rivers flowing north and most rivers aren't? <clears throat> So the Foynica River is the star of the show. The Bosna River has got too much water in it to really see the structure very well. But in late summer, the Foynica, which is smaller and rather placid and rather shallow, um, you can you can get in it and it's fun. You put on your sandals and you walk along and the, the water comes up. It's nice and cool and there's fish in there and you, the water comes up to your knees or something. or And you just walk up the river and, you know, there'll be a Bosnian native inner tubing down the river as you're walking up with your camera to explore the river. But nobody except me was exploring the riverbed because everyone's up on the excavation sites on the, on the hundreds of feet up on the pyramids, you know, that's where mm-hmm. the sites were. But between the pyramid and the river was Visoko. So people were just like, oh, the pyramid starts somewhere over there on the other side of the town. They didn't come to the river. The river was just for a recreation. You know, you take your family down there and you, you, you have a picnic. That's that's what the Bosnians are doing. So uh, the tourists never went down there. So I thought one day it was late August and I'd been I had come back to do videography for the foundation because uh, Semir, like I said, I kept in touch with them with these articles um, after I came back to the States in 2012, 2013. At the end of 2013, he said, hey, why don't you come back, make some short scientific videos for the foundation two and a half minutes each on various aspects of the complex, the, the water in Ravne Tunnel, the megalis in Ravne Tunnel, the healing energy in Ravne Tunnel, the concrete on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, the, the, the claystone plateaus in, on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Moon. I said, yeah, I'll do that. She said, okay, get a, get a professional camera 
and get a laptop. Because when I'd first come to volunteer, I brought my desktop. And he was like, you got to get a laptop. <laughs> so I said, okay, I got a laptop. I've got a, a camera that was light sensitive for Rodney Tunnel. So I could see, you know, so we could really see what was in there because it's, even though there's artificial lighting, it's uh, basically just dark and then there'll be this little light by a megalith or something. And it's not, you, you need a light sensitive camera. So I got that, all the associated equipment went out there um, in the summer of 2014 when the volunteers uh, were um, coming. So uh, I interviewed the volunteers, I interviewed the scientists, and I did all that, got the videos done. And at the end of the four months, I said, uh, all right, well, I could stay. And uh, the comedy continues, you know, because I'm not a videographer. I'm just a guy with a camera. I'm a, I'm a writer. So this is the cosmic joke that all the videographers in Europe who should have been doing this job that summer weren't. Uh, I, a writer, was doing this. It was totally ridiculous to me. I, I would have handed the job over to any professional videographer who came and said, can I have this job? Yes, because I wanted to be done right. But I was doing my best with a really good camera and all I would do is point it. It was on auto, I'm just telling you. It was on auto focus and auto lighting every single minute. There was no time to be screwing with the manual focus or anything. There was no time in the field because you just go up to somebody and do an interview and <clears throat> you know, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I just, I just pointed it and then I made my little videos with my, I, I had barely enough skills to put a video on YouTube. And I'm like, well, I should be writing a screenplay right now, but I guess I'm going to be the videographer for this uh, this yeah. most active archaeological project in the world, you know. So um, it was weird, and but it was awesome. And so after four months of that, I said, I can stay. And he said, OK. So I stayed. I, I The scientific teams came through the winter and it became to be spring and I was still there and I was writing articles for Wikipedia, which they immediately rejected and for Wiki News, which they immediately rejected on the Bosnian pyramids. Of course. Um, and so um, but I was trying my best to, to get information out to people about Bosnian pyramids. So then summer comes. I go, should I stay in the summer, too, and do the same thing I did last summer? He's like, sure. So it comes to be about, I was there about like 17 months at the end of June, July, end of July, early August. And then I was starting to think, would the, would the ancients have set their pyramids on the earth next to a river that could flood and take the pyramids down from the side? Or would they more probably build their foundations down? And if so, how deep do the foundations go? Where does the pyramid start? Where do these pyramids start along the Fornicer River? And I thought, I wonder if the riverbed's built, you know? So I went down in it, made a video, and I found the same building. Now we're going to go into exactly what that building is. Um, it's very simple what the ancients did. They used clay throughout the complex in different um consistencies. So what they did was they'd have a soft earthquake mitigating layer, one centimeter, maybe it was three meters. It, it changed all the time. The, the thickness of, the, of the, the layer was always different. Or they would have a, a hard structural layer, which was composed of a hard baked clay stone set next to another hard baked clay stone set next to another hard baked clay stone in between which was a centimeter of soft earthquake mitigating clay in between each stone and on top of which was soft earthquake mitigating clay. So every hard baked clay stone was packed in with soft clay that would allow the structure to move and just stay there. 
It's a genius building. It's not like the building, like I said, in uh, around the, the earth where the, the, the structures are a little bit more brittle. They don't have the, the softness to, to take the kinetic energy of the earthquake. So it's absolutely a genius building what they did. They alternated soft and hard layers. Now, in the, so I saw in, in the riverbanks, they had the same building. And I thought, okay, so they're built too. And then I noticed that the riverbed for about the first, like if you put a yardstick down into the deepest part of the river and maybe about one, one or one and a half yards up and then went across to the river uh, riverbanks, from that point down, they didn't put any soft earthquake mitigating layers in the riverbank or in the riverbed. So I'm going to ask you guys now, why do you think the ancients didn't put soft earthquake mitigating layers in the riverbed? Put us on the spot like that. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Enlighten us. I honestly don't know. The water action would take out this. See, you may, I might not have made it clear. The soft earthquake mitigating clay is you can press your thumb in it and you get a thumbprint. Um, you can just scoop it out with your fingers. It's really soft. So oh, the wow. water action would, would erode. In in the main part of the river, the water coursing through is so strong that it would it would erode any kind of soft layers, mm. and then the hard structural layers would fall, and then your riverbed's gone, and that's your foundation for the pyramids. So the foundation's gone. So they they baked they they adhered baked clay layers to each other in a strong way, but clear thin layers. <laughs> then. In fact, let me just show you, since I have all these photos, I might as well get to them. I'll, I can show it to you. Oh, let me allow you the screen share. Hang on. Okay. Um, you should be good. Yeah, so okay. you're, you're saying the riverbed's more like a foundation? Yep. So it's like clear that. that they, it was an artificially created riverbed. Like, they created it. So yep. to me, that's that's a lot of proof alone that, that's a created pyramid not a hill right well and the fact that they run north too which unless you tie it into like inner yeah. earth theories at that point um you know i wonder how much of this ties into under underground cavern systems also oh and, yeah. and what yeah. does that river flow in 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 the inner earth i wouldn't doubt it right right yeah. um all right, so this is a volume pyramid complex looked at from the north. You see the meeting of the two rivers. On the right is the Foynitsa River, on the left is the Bosna River, and they're both flowing north toward us. So we're looking at the northern side of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. Below, uh, behind it is the, the Bosnian Pyramid of Love. Uh, and then behind those on the left of the river down, down uh, upstream, is the Temple of Mother Earth, and further off to the left, you can't see it, is the Bosnian Pyramid of the Moon. So along the Foynitsa River, all these structures find themselves. Now, um, here's another shot of the, the placid. You can see the placidness of this river. The, the ancients built it to not be a turbulent river that would take down their pyramids or destroy their structures in any way. They, they made it very, very slow moving and placid. Now, this is the first thing I saw when I went down into the riverbed of the Foynitsa River. Um, in, it was August 5, 2015, and I took a photo, and then I made a, a video, and I said, Samir, this is built. And he said, it would be a lot of work. 
That was the only thing you really said about that. And the foundation, Archaeological Park Foundation, still hasn't sent a team down there because it's it's kind of a, a wild notion that the, that somebody's building a riverbed. But to me, it's obvious that it's the foundation of the structures in the complex. Now, this 45 degree angle uh, construction, I didn't notice the specific angle when I first looked at this. I just noticed the layers, and and uh, these are baked adhered clay layers. There's no soft earthquake mitigating layers in this. This is all adhered. Really, really strong concretized clay. By the way, the origin of the word clay goes back to a Proto-Indo-European word called um, glay, G-L-E-Y. And from glay came the word clay, which we think of as dirt, and the word glue. So back in time, the ancients thought of clay as glue. They used the glue, they baked this to itself. These clay, these pure clay layers are baked to themselves, and then they're also joined to the next thin layer and the next thin layer and the next thin layer. Somehow they joined these layers as if they as if once they laid them down, they then heated them up with some kind of sonic heating technology. So they all melted a bit and, and adhered to each other. Who knows what how they did it? But we right. could there's no way we could do this. I mean, so um so I thought, well. Um, this is interesting. I didn't realize until many years later, after exploring the two other continents, uh, riverbeds on two other continents, that this was the angle that the, the ancients use in general, the structural angle for the bases of hills, as well as the pyramids in the complex. This 45 degree angle construction is found all over the world. Um, as the primary angles of construction for riverbeds and creek beds. And any little creek or riverbed should have this primary 45 degree angle construction. We're gonna see more of that. So let's see, this is the river bank. Now we have the, uh, the soft earthquake mitigating layers that have been you know, ravaged by a recent flood. A couple of years before I took this, there was a flood and it took out the soft layers. And then you have these, hard baked clay stones with their you know vertical sides you know and right that doesn't look um, natural to me at it's all. clearly built. yeah <laughs> i mean it's clearly. pretty obvious you know right and so uh and that's just sort of a little a quick uh glance at the at the creek bank and then you've got the soft layers below but but then as we get lower down then now now i have to explain this photo um in the middle the, 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 the thicker hard baked claystone layer, all right, is the, the place where um, the soft earthquake mitigating layers don't, don't happen on the left side of the photo. It's all baked adhered clay layers. As, as we go down toward the river itself, everything's adhered. There's no way they were gonna let the water mess with soft earthquake mitigating layers until it gets to right here. So right, this is the first soft earthquake mitigating layer. All this other crappy stuff on the left is all detritus. It's all clay detritus. It's not layers. The layer, the soft layers start here, and they're they're very thin, very thin, very thin, very thin. As you get up the hill, Osceola Hill is on the right. Bosnian Pyramid, the sun is on the left. We're facing north right now. Um, as you get up the hill, you see much thicker, softer earthquake mitigating layers. So they put these really thin layers in. You can see how it's eroded out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, even even though they started way up on the bank, you know, the river would flood and, and still would, would start to erode their, their structure. But even that, you know, even this little layer stayed strong, this little uh, uh, soft clay layer, this layer stayed strong. Um, some of these are eroded, but that's that's how they did it. They made sure that the the um, they, they used baked adhered clay layers in the riverbed itself. So let's continue. Oh, this is um, this is me being you know too detail oriented, but I just figured I should I should make it clear with some arrows. <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel like you should be using an ancient alien voice right now. Could it be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll always ask the question, and but you know what they're thinking, but they put it in a question form. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is it possible? Is it? Yeah. It's always ancient astronaut theorists believe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um okay so let's let's go let's zoom back so we'll keep this up now after finding this and i told samir about it he he was kind of like you know well it'd be a lot of work so there wasn't much of a reaction on the part of him or the foundation and he created the foundation to oversee excavation in the complex the archaeological park foundation so i thought well i, I gotta explore this and see how far the building goes you know um no one else is doing it so here i am uh so i went uh sort of back behind us in this photo, I went uh, essentially upstream outside the complex to see if, you know, where the building began, because I was just, just interested. And so I, I went to, uh, let's see, a place near the bottom of this photo first, took a taxi out there, then I took a taxi, and then I took a van with some friends to the Dragatso, which is the main tributary. And we put in just about where that little water droplet is. So about uh, almost a mile west of the little town of Foynitsa, Foynitsa Grad, as they call it. I, you know, we got in and the Dragatsa is also built. So I thought, well, if the Dragatsa tributary is built, and there's, there's 12 tributaries to the, to the Foynitsa, this is the Foynitsa here, there's 12 tributaries to it. Uh, maybe the other 11 tributaries are built too, but, you know, I'm a playwright and a screenwriter. I have other things to do besides spend my entire life looking at every single tributary to the Foynitsa River. So I thought, well, I've, I've already documented that the main tributaries built at least to that point, maybe further, but, you know, um, you know, I only have one life, you know, so <laughs> yeah, right. I thinking maybe some geologists or archaeologists would want to do this. I don't know. So uh, then uh, I, put, I made some videos of all of that. So you can find that in an article called Megastructure, the Foynitsa River is a, is a megalithic structure. So um, it's essentially a built river system and it's one structure. So the, the, the pyramids find themselves joined through the riverbed. So, the, so everything's joined through this riverbed um, to other structures across the river. And then they're also paired to each other. So literally it's all built. Well, so I would get, go ahead. I, I wonder if that, uh, water, if that artificial river structure, that water would generate some type of electricity that works in tandem with the beam, the scalar beam. I wonder if it it's like a requirement. It's part of the technology. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you got to think that if the ancients are building this very, very uh, clearly engineered uh, slope angle to their to their uh, foundation of their structures they knew that water was going to come through there 
So yeah. in other words, there's, they started with the river course. So yeah, it's the primary fundamental thing they needed. And then they went up and built, built their other structures. But they said, yeah, water's coming through here. We need water here. They could have built it so there's no water coming through. They could have, you know, they could have built it up yeah. on a hill. So they didn't. They, they, so why yeah. Would, why would always, they build it for no reason? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. So, if, so it's interesting. It's, it's like a multi-purposed uh, uh, object. It's the foundation for the pyramids. But it's also a river course that can and and waters waters one of the primary magics. And I go into this in my uh, uh, video in Rock Creek in California that talks about the magic of water and Victor Schauberger and the vortexing of water and the negative ions that are created by turbulence yep. uh, to give life to 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 give health to, to to the entire biosphere. You know, the negative ions are helping us. Well, that's like just having a waterfall in your home waterfall. or or something like that. Like people, we, we subconsciously like that because it feels good. You know, you might not understand why you like being around waterfalls, but it's the negative ions that you're talking about. It's, it's, it's producing mm -hmm. a healing frequency, I guess you could say. Exactly. Well, exactly. And so the, and interestingly, Ravne Tunnel Labyrinth has uh, such a high negative ion um, count. And for people who don't know about negative ions, uh, the word negative doesn't mean that it's bad. Positive ions are actually bad for us and negative ions are good yeah. for us. Yeah. So um, negative ions, a high negative ion count is super healing for us. And so the, the, the yogis would sit by the huge waterfalls. And in fact, the, the negative ion count of the biggest waterfalls on the planet, you know, Ni Niagara and other places, those are the only places that have higher negative ion counts than Rodney Tunnel. I mean, it's unbelievable. And they have this meter that can, that, and they, you know, they constantly monitor the negative ion count um, in the Rodney Tunnel. So that's one of the aspects of healing that one of the scientific reasons why people get healed is the negative ion count. It also has really high oxygen count in the Rodney Tunnel. So where um, is the tunnel in relation to the river system? Well, let's, uh, let's, I'm going to show you some photos of that. Let's see. Because I, I wonder if that tunnel is playing a role in the healing frequency of the, or the river is playing a role in the healing frequency of the tunnel. I wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's, okay. if it like the tunnel runs along the river system, I don't know where it runs in relation to the pyramids. Well, that's, that's really, that's really interesting because there are two tunnel systems there. One's called KTK tunnel. And it is near the riverbed, uh, really near where I first explored. It's, it's at the meeting of the Bosna and the uh, Fonitsa rivers. And uh, it's only about, say, 10 meters up. It's above the flooding levels. So they were smart enough to put it up above flood levels. And the KTK tunnel, if you look out um, onto the Bosna River from KTK tunnel, you see that there's this, this diagonal construction and but it's a step so that the water becomes really turbulent right at that step the negative ions are being generated from that turbulence and it's right where the tunnel entrance is so you can imagine the tunnel using the negative ions for its purposes whatever those were we're just catching up to the ancients you know mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah do, do we still have share screen is it still sharing screen yeah yeah everything is lagging a little bit i guess the internet connection is kind of slow but yeah we i can still see it so this is the the 45 degree angle construction of the Bosna River. So it's not just that the Foynitsa has the 45 degree angle construction. So does the Bosna. And I'm actually not talking about the 
and the angling of the riverbed in this one, because I hadn't actually come up with that theory yet. I was talking about the step down where there's all this turbulence uh, bringing the negative ions into KTK tunnel, which is right behind me in this one. So uh, it's, it's just a screenshot, it's a little blurry, but you can find that um, that video on KTK right. tunnel. To me, there's no doubt that the river system plays a part in the frequency of the tunnels and the scalar beam, which yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to hear more about that beam and what kind of test you guys have done on that. Yeah, we I've got a folder on that. We can go into that. Um, let's see. I was just thinking, all right, so this helps us see what's happening. Um, as I went out to explore the Foynitsa Riverbed, uh, to see where the building began, uh, I was going, the, the, the river flows north through the complex, uh, and but it goes east and then north. So at, at Bootsy Bridge, which is this little bridge here in this tiny little village, um, that's where it changes from concrete to clay. So this is pure clay and, and the structures in the complex are pure clay, except for the top layer of the Bosnian pyramid of the sun, which is this uh, layers of concrete that they put on top of the clay. So, um, but this is a concrete riverbed for some reason, and I'm not sure how far that goes uh, as concrete, but they switched it right at that bridge. Now the bridge wasn't there when they switched it. We just happened to have a bridge there to mark that um, by chance. Um, so this is the concrete uh, of the riverbed above the bridge. And you say, well, that doesn't look much like building. That looks natural. And, and yeah, I, it does look natural. But if you look from the bridge, that's what it looks like. And you can see the 45 degree angle construction. It's crisscrossing. Um, it's, it, to me, it's, it's super clear that that's a built structure. That's all concrete. That's, that's um, upstream looking, looking uh, south. And this looks the other way from the bridge. This is, this is downstream. And it's, this is where it's going toward the complex. And this is the 45 degree angle clay layers, 45 degree angle clay layers. And literally right underneath you, as you're standing on the bridge, it switches to concrete. So it's pretty crazy. But that's all fascinating. And to me, that does look like concrete, to be honest. Uh, and I think you're onto something there, but um, I guess time will tell, right? Well, uh, it, was, it was odd because I went on a journey down to South Africa with Michael Tellinger. Because uh, he wanted me to make some videos of him. He and Semir are really good friends. So uh, Semir was basically lending me out to Michael. And, and Semir paid for my plane ticket down to South Africa um, because he wanted to help Michael out. So I was down there with Michael for a month. Um, and the last day I was there, I went out on my own to see if the hills were built. And I found out that, the oddly, the, the hills uh, near Water, Water Valboven in South Africa in Mpumalanga province, uh, which is right where Michael Tellinger's compound is, the hills above the Elands River um, have these layers that are inclined into the structure, steeply inclined, just like the layers in the Bosnian Pyramid Complex. All the structures have inclined layers that are facing, uh, weighted in, into the center of the structures. So whichever face you're facing, it's always going to be weighted inward for structural strength. And it's, it's exactly what the hills of South Africa were. They're not pyramids. They're just hills above a river. Now, this is this was odd. And I went around the circumference of the hill, and I noticed that wherever I was, they were weighted inward. In other words, how does how is nature making a hill that's all, they're always weighted yeah. inward no matter where you are? Yeah, you know? exactly. So this was weird. And then I noticed that uh, when it when the hill joined the other hill, 
um, then it became perfectly flat. There were no longer they were no longer leaning in because there was nowhere to lean into because it was a crevice between the hills. So there's a hill over here. There's a hill over here. It's perfectly flat. And then uh, this was similar to the building between the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun and the Bosnian Pyramid of Love. In that crevice between those paired pyramids in Bosnia, it's perfectly flat. It's clay layers, soft, softer earthquake mitigating layers, and then hard concrete, and then soft earthquake mitigating layers, then hard concrete all the way up in that crevice between those two pyramids. And on the other side, you know, on the sides of the crevice, you have the really steeply inclined layers, Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, really steeply inclined layers, Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, steeply inclined, well-engineered, but in the crevice, it's always flat. And it was exactly the same way in South Africa, the flat right, yeah. joining area. And I was like, okay, this is this is too much, you know? So yeah. then, and I'm, you know, it's not like I was going, I'm gonna be the continental terraforming theory guy. That's not what I wanted to do. I thought it was weird that I was finding this. I didn't want to find this. This freaks me out. It freaks me out that someone might have built this built this stuff because why would they? Who were they? And why would they? Brings up a lot of questions. And how did they do it if they did? Exactly. And how did they yeah. do it? And we're going to get into a possibility for that 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 kind of like might resolve that in a, in a sort of an aesthetic way and an easy way. You know, like tell us. Okay, well, if you want, I'll just jump to that because um, for fifty years we've been doing three D printing, and. Right. We went from printing a little thing that looked like a little nothing thingamabob that was about two centimeters long, that did nothing, to printing bridges and houses. So um, we have accelerated our ability technologically in 3D printing that far in only 50 years. Now, we are also doing 4D printing, which is printing of objects that adapt to their environment, for instance, heat and cold. Now you get to th thinking about this and you go, wait a minute, isn't an organism adapting to its environment? Yeah. Isn't the earth adapting to its environment with climate? Isn't that what climate is? The adaptation to the earth, to its environment as it spins around the sun, uh, as it get, solar winds are coming in, you know, so it's, it's adapting to its environment with climate. That's what it is, you know? So, um, Adaptation is is the is the mark of something that's living that's 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 got a yeah it's got an internal um, intelligence let's say yeah so we're already four D printing objects in fifty years what could a, what could a civilization do if they had fifty million years to exactly. to advance their three D and four D printing what couldn't yeah. they do exactly three D print a continent. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm thinking. So, so, so let's 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 imagine that you're an advanced race, and you've you're so advanced that it's like for fun you're building planets, and you, it's like seeds, and you, and you you build them, and then you go away, and you build another, and you build another, and you come back a million years later, and you see what happened, what grew there, what happened. It's an experiment. It's fun. I mean, it's something to do. If you're so advanced, what are you going to do? I'm thinking yeah. you're going to build planets. So. Um, you set up a system. See, this this is where we get to Tesla, but but let's let's bypass that for now, and we'll get to it in a second. You set up a system where you you're able to extract material from the ether, and there's a randomizing computer program that knows the form of a hill, it knows the form of a riverbed, it knows the form of a creek, it knows the form of a mountain. Basically, there's a basic form like a platonic form, and it randomizes these forms. 
automatically. So you're sitting back drinking coffee in your spaceship or your other dimension where you're totally comfortable just hanging out in space. Whatever you're doing, you're so advanced that it's all good. You're, you're drinking coffee, you're drinking your latte, and the computer takes care of the randomization of the forms, and you just watch the, 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 you watch the, the material from the ether, from the material ether, as Tesla told us, um, be extracted and form around the torus field that's already there that then the material shapes around the torus field. It's got a hollow center because, you know, the torus is like a donut and you then it just forms the planet. Now you could have a planet building enterprise that then had a second stage where you then you shape the continents. You bring the computer program in later, a million years later, you come back and you go, oh, let's shape some continents. Uh, and this also gets into the expanding Earth. Now, this is a lot of information coming fast, but let's get back to Tesla really quick. Uh, if, 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 uh, unless you guys have questions, oh, I did also. Well, so, so it's 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 an incredibly out there out there theory, but it's also not. And, and it's really not when you understand, right? But it's it. not something that you're going to get on stage at a conference and present your theory, and you, you know you'll probably get laughed at for that one, you know. But I definitely think um, it's not out of the realm of possibility, and it's actually pretty compelling to me. And I do want to hear what you have to say where Tesla ties into this. Okay, well, it's interesting because in um, in 1690, this guy Christian Huygens, who was a Dutch mathematician, astronomer, physicist, inventor, super smart guy, amazing guy, you know, rivaled Newton easily. Um, he came up with he he published this book called uh, Treatise on Light. And it was a little little book, almost like a pamphlet, but um, it, it basically said he proposed that light is a waveform that travels through a medium. And for for centuries, people had already thought about a medium in the in, in the universe, and they called it the luminiferous ether. Why did they call it luminiferous? Was it because it was radiant? No, it was because it was light bearing. It was a light bearing ether. The light needs. Uh, and Tesla confirms this, light needs a medium to travel through. Mm -hmm. Tesla said, light can be nothing else than sound in the ether. A light wave can be nothing else than sound in the ether. It's, it's, it needs a medium. You know, sound travels through air. Without air, you don't have sound. You need, you need a medium for light. So um, they understood this back in the day. Um, academia has suppressed this and now it's just a void and there's no ether. There's just, there's just nothing out there. So you should stay home, Truman, because it's really scary out there. There's no fabric to the universe, nowhere to stand. Yeah. So, so yeah. You have to stay home. Yeah. Um, that's academia. So, um, but Tesla, um, who's been discarded in every possible way by acad academia, the smartest scientist ever to have lived is, is basically marginalized to a guy who was in love with a pigeon. Crazy. That's how oh, he's just a crazy out, guy. You know? Yeah. That's literally right. what, yeah. So, so Tesla took this idea up in, in uh, 160 years later, Tesla comes on the scene in Smiljan, Croatia, which is which was Austrian empire back then. Now it's Croatia. And he, um, th three decades later, he's talking about the ether. He saw how important this medium was for, for what he was observing uh, in his lab and in, 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 in the universe. So he published um, articles and a letter to the editor of the New York Times and many, many different letters to the editor about this. And you're like, why is he publishing about the ether? Why isn't he just publishing about his uh, his uh, wireless uh, energy? Wouldn't that be the thing that he was, was a big deal? Why is he talking about the ether? Well, um, he's publishing about this 
And even in these articles, he's saying, oh, by the way, if you thought that wireless energy was the big deal, it's not. Anybody could do it. It's simple. It's being done right now. What's going to be the big deal, and you saw this in the article headline in July, in, I think it was July 1930 or June 1930, there was a syndicated article that went all across the United States through the Hearst Publishing Company, and it was called Man's Greatest Achievement. And you're like, wow, Tesla wrote an article called Man's Greatest Achievement? It must be wireless energy. No, he's writing about the future. He's not even writing about what he did in the past or what he's about to do. It's writing about man's future. Someday man's greatest achievement is going to be this. What is that? It's extracting material from the luminiferous ether, the light bearing ether. And in that moment of extraction, which is you have to whirl the ether, you give the ether motion in a helical way, that very motion is the matter. So it so the ether is matter in motion, or matter is the ether in motion, I should say. And by giving motion to the ether, we, we can become creators of worlds. And he says this, we can build planets, we can move planets. We, he says, without much effort, we can we can create worlds from the ether, and this will be man's greatest achievement. And I'm like, I'm reading this just a few weeks ago, going, oh my God, he said this? Well, of course he must have been thought of as just a fantasist. Right. He knew the science it. behind it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like he understood wow. the well, science. That's actually I pretty mean, incredible. Yeah. It's pretty so. mad. I mean, I mean, people did believe in the ether back then, but still mm-hmm. the a person who is just a regular person reading that what are they going to do with that information that they're just go, well, that sounds right. crazy. They just go back to going dancing and whatever they did, you yeah. know? <laughs> so it just right. kind of got lost in the, in the, in the, in the, in time. And then academia came along with, um, they simplified Maxwell's equations. So Maxwell, James Clark Maxwell came along and he, um, he was talking about the electromagnetic nature of light and he made, he made these amazing equations and uh, Tesla was a big fan of these equations, and they included the ether in the equations. Then Oliver Heaviside came along, simplified Maxwell's equations, discarded the ether, discarded Tesla's ether from the, the equations, and then academia took the simplified version and said, "There's no, there's no ether," because Oliver Heaviside is our new authority. It's like really because that's not what Tesla said. He said James Clark Maxwell was right about the ether. So they're, they're they're discarding Tesla. They're, they're, it's a systematic discarding of the ether. Why would the thought control system want to discard the ether? Well, for the same reason that they want to discard um, the the uh, a universe of infinite time. They give us the Big Bang nonsense, thirteen point eight billion years as a time limit for the universe. Oh, it was it was it was born thirteen point eight billion years ago, because we would therefore plausibly imagine that we're the first advanced race. We're the first race to raise our heads above the muck and mire. You know, so so therefore we don't have a galactic family. We're alone. Oh, and there's no ether. It's a void. Stay home, Truman. Fucking stay home. Okay. It's scary out there. There's nobody out there and there's nothing out there. Yeah. And also they don't want us understanding because if you believe if you understand the ether, you know, you can tap into the ether and there's where free energy and everything else, you know, so. And That's why everything's connected through that as well. Right, so right, it's all right. these concepts and things they don't want us <laughs> discovering and thinking about. So they're just like, oh, there's just no ether. And, and, it, and it goes right into the whole like scarcity, you know, 
everything's finite and um you know right there's only so many resources to go around so they can keep that scarcity and like that's why that you know that's why people have such a hard time wrapping their head around free energy technology even like this omnia patch that you know we get a lot of shit about uh but just for for the record ken rollo looked at this patch and he and he verified it it's some sort of a scalar Mm -hmm. energy but it's Michael tapping Tillinger in. also actually endorses Michael Tillinger actually yeah. endorses the Omnia patch now. Yep. Um, but it's a free energy technology that's what that's balancing, that's reharmonizing the frequency. And it's working, it looks totally insignificant because we are not taught about the ether. We don't understand how we can tap into this stuff and actually utilize it. So uh it's not they designed it that way, so people can't figure it out and they call bullshit on it. Uh, And obviously it's all a big trap, you know, a big loop. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the the scalar beam coming out of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, because this ties in absolutely perfectly through the work of this incredible Serbian electrical engineer, Goran Marjanovic, who studied the, um, the beam on the Pyramid of the Sun. It ties in with the ether. So the scalar energy, which the Russians call torsion fields or torsion waves, Mm-hmm. Which, which Tesla called non-Hertzian waves, non-Hertzian energy, that is all, let's just call it scalar, because that's just one word for, these are just different, yeah. energy, same thing, it's scalar energy, that ties in with the ethers, and, and, we, and, it, and the key is the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, so I'm going to just, even though, even though the audio might glitch a bit, I'm going to share screen, because i got to show you some stuff. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, uh, let's see, where can I find that so you guys real quick though you measured that the beam has been measured um somehow they measured that how far that energy beam reaches above the pyramid right that's been done Uh, do you know anything about the results of that i do i I interviewed goran marjanovic who who made the measurements um and i interviewed him twice um for two articles called the scalar conundrum so you so so if anyone wants to know about the scalar beam on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, go to the scalar conundrum, the first one, and then there's another one which talks about the conundrum in, in relationship to Tesla. So that's all there, all the videos, all the all the things. But I also interviewed him on video. He was he was this is the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun in, in the background. There's some sheep. They don't usually have fences in Bosnia, so everything's open, and it's it's a really wonderful country to go to. Um, the researcher Domogoj Nikolic is here um, <clears throat> from Croatia. This is Goran Marjanovic, the Serbian electrical engineer. They were going to put some uh, microlight drones up, <clears throat> some kind of balloon up with instruments, and it was too windy. So I got a chance to interview them because they weren't busy. They were waiting for the wind to stop. And I interviewed Goran, and you guys can find that. Um, it's called um, um, Pyramids as Resonance Objects. And he talks all about scalar energy. It's, it's astounding. you got to go check that out. So that's Goron. Now he's the uh, he's the man. He's the connection between e- Tesla's ether and the scalar energy um, that um, is coming out of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, and that's everywhere, by the way. So he started the the Belgrade Heritage Club in in Belgrade. He's the intellectual founder of this thing, and then people, you know, investors put money toward him so he could make Tesla coils and experiment with Tesla machines and do tons of research. So um, here he is with crystals and machines. And he's, you know, notice he doesn't have a lot of art on the walls. He's he's not looking at the walls. He's looking at these machines. 
He's looking at what crystals are doing. He's looking at what coils are doing. What, what did Tesla say? What's the next step? Um, here's him doing a microlight drone exploration of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. This is him preparing for that. Um, here's him on the on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, heading up toward uh, this, the pyramid. He's going to put this microlight drone with all these instruments on it for measuring the beam coming out of the Pyramid of the Sun. <clears throat> all right. So there's the article. Now, can, can you see, am I sharing screen okay that you can see this beam coming out of the pyramid? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you notice the shape of the beam. It's not a columnar shape. It's a double helix. That's exactly right. So what we have, what Goron found was, he, what he did was he took the microlite drone. See, four different independent researchers had already come out, research teams had already found this 28 kilohertz electromagnetic beam coming out of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. They already found it. It had a definite edge. Here it's not there. Here it is there. So nine meters, <coughs> nine meters wide at the surface of the pyramid. And uh, so four teams found that, independent researchers. Um, then Goran came and said, what's the shape? I'm going to take a microlight drone up and I'm going to go across it. I'm going to put it up a little higher, go across it, put it up a little higher, go across it. And we're going to, we're going to mark the shape of this beam. I don't know why he got the idea to do that, but he did. And what he found was that the beam starts actually small at nine meters and then goes out to 21 meters and then comes back to nine and goes out to 21 and goes back to nine and goes out to 21. So it's in a repeating ellipsoid shape above the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. Most of the photos you see have a straight column coming out, but this is more, this is an artistic rendering. I want to make it clear. This is a photo that was manipulated digitally to give us an idea of what this shape is, because you can't see scalar energy, just like you can't see the 28 kilohertz beam coming out, you know, but you can measure these things. Now, can we measure scalar energy directly? Goran says no, but he detected a what he calls a shadow of scalar energy. And you guys can read about all this in, in the Scalar Conundrum series. Um, so um, then that's the video you want to go to. Your pyramids as resonance objects. That's that's Goron talking on the Pyramid of the Sun about the beam and about scale energy and what it means. You know? Now, did that did that beam go in definitely, like as high as he could measure? Well, uh, I don't know if it goes indefinitely, but yeah, I mean, he didn't he never said that there was an end to it. So yeah. I um, thought I thought that I heard Sam. Osmanovich say once that uh, it somehow they were able to measure that it actually the further away from the pyramid they got the stronger it was. Well, this, is, I... this, is, this is exactly what Tesla said about non-Hertzian waves, which is what scalar energy is. He said that when it, as it leaves the source, it gets stronger. Okay. Um, but but um, the, the connection to the ether with with scalar energy is. I'm just going to stop share for a second. All right, so so um, scalar energy, torsion fields, Tesla's non-Hertzian waves, connects to the ether <clears throat> in this way. Goran Marjanovic said that scalar energy is like an accordion player. So let's say that I'm the scalar energy and I'm, I'm playing the etheric accordion. So the ether is the accordion and I'm compressing the accordion and rarefying the accordion. So it's a volumetric expansion and compression that scalar energy is doing to the ether, which academia says doesn't exist. See, 
So if you go into astrophysics, the premises in, in astrophysics and in earth sciences are, 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 are they're corrupted. So everything that yeah. follows is corrupted. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, the base premises so, is BS and then everything follows that. So yep. if, and it's all designed to keep you hitting a dead end, basically. So you don't yeah, right. believe in things right. like time travel or speed of light. You can't travel faster than the speed exactly. of light. All that well, stuff. Well, exactly. And and Ken Rolla, when you once you mentioned it, um, Aaron, uh yeah, Ken Rolla's key. I was watching a video of his yesterday. In fact, yeah, I interviewed yeah. him. Awesome. You got you guys got to go check out this video. You guys meaning all of you guys. You two guys and whoever's listening, please check out this uh, this video, Blueprint for Existence. Ken Rolla is talking about scalar energy and the monoatomic elements and the crystalline nature of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun and other structures, because the clay that's built out of is crystalline. And um, so the, and the, the concrete is compressing it. And this this compression, this weight on the on the material of the pyramids itself that uh, creates uh, scalar energy, creates a scalar field. So it goes into this in detail. It's pretty astounding. So Blueprint for Existence, and that's on my Bosnian Pyramids channel on YouTube. Um, so Ken Rolla, um, yeah, he's, he's, he and, and Goran Marjanovic are the scalar energy guys. They, they, they understand what it's doing, you know? They, they understand yeah. its fundamental relationship to the ether. Um, uh, the Indian, the, the Veda philosophy is that the universe is a breathing regime, they call it. So the universe is breathing. Why is it breathing? Well, because as science has found, real science, Tesla science, Goran Marjanovic, Serbian electrical engineer science, he's furthering Tesla's work. The universe is breathing because scalar energy is compressing and rarefying it. And you have an instant connection, just like if you pull a sheet, you don't have to wait. The, the other side of the sheet is not waiting for, for some time to elapse. It, yeah. it's, it's instantly affected. So the universe is connected and they call it quantum entanglement or something like that, or mm -hmm. well, there's something at a distance. What's it called? Something at a distance. Um, action at a distance. Einstein. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And, and, but it, but it's, it's, they, they've gotten rid of the ether. So they're like, oh, it's so mystical. No, it's yeah, not. We don't know. That's crazy. Why, yeah, why you don't that? need mathematical formulas. You just need to bring Tesla's ether back and you have a medium that's being volumetrically uh, compressed and rarefied by scalar energy. So there's this beautiful relationship between scalar energy, which has the blueprint for all life, by the way. And that's where Ken Rolla comes back in because academia is telling us in another gaslighting bunch of nonsense that at the center of each galaxy is a star sucking demon called a black hole. Yeah. Ken Rolla says it's a singularity that's dark, not because it's um, pulling in all light. In everything. Yeah. It's, it's streaming out light. That's superluminal light. Superluminal light. Exactly. Which, which we can't see because it's dark or maybe you could say black. That might be a, a misleading term, but we can't see the superluminal light. It's traveling much, 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 much faster than our standard speed of light. Yeah. The light that we see from the sun is traveling at speed of light that we understand. So our and instruments our, can't pick it up. So we just, they just call it. Um, well, yeah. They, or, yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, we, we can't see the superluminal light coming from the or the scalar energy, which has the blueprints for all life in it coming from the center of the galaxy. And each galaxy yeah. has this singularity that is feeding us with blueprints. Mm -hmm. Our chromosomes or antenna that are picking up the blueprint um, 
information from the scalar waves coming from the singularity at the center of the galaxy and we're re it's rebroadcasting it so the the uh, the chromosomes are um transceivers they're 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 receiving the scalar blueprints for life and they're rebroadcasting it in a field mm -hmm. that we call matter because it, it's it seems like solid matter is condensing but it's really if you put an electron microscope up to us or a, a microscope that can really really see <laughs> how material we are it turns out we're not material we're, we're just yeah. nothing there so really it's a field it's a rebroadcast field that we see as and we interact with as solid but it's it's not really a solid thing it's just a different phase change of the scalar energy blueprint um a manifested field yeah. right exactly. exactly it's interesting too how they make the uh going back to the black hole thing how they put so much fear around that, like, oh, you'll get sucked in, you know, it's a void, whatever. But I've heard the theory also that on the other side of every black hole is like, it's like a another universe, almost like it's like a portal or a stargate. And they don't want, they probably don't want people to discover that. So they want you to basically stay as far away from it as possible, if there's any truth to that. Mm. Well, um, that's interesting. Um, because but, but we see the thought control matrix again. We always have to come back to that. Why? And we say, qui bono, who benefits? Well, who benefits from them telling, this, telling us that there's a star-sucking demon at the, at the center of every galaxy? Well, we don't benefit. We're just living in fear. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That's just terrible. Everything's going to be destroyed. Um, yeah. That doesn't make sense. I live in a chaotic, incoherent universe. Um, it's a void out there. Uh, we have no galactic family. Uh, we're alone. Okay, well, we should probably just sit at home and sit by our heaters as long as they work because electricity might not be on for much longer because we don't have the money i mean it's just endless nonsense you know? they really don't like, want us believing that the universe is an intelligent living universe and that we are a part of that <laughs> like that's and the it's the electric they want. yeah yeah the yeah. whole electric aspect of the universe yeah. is is key honestly and the, fractal, the fractalization of uh because that's what like scalar uh, energy it, it fractalizes and that's why because uh, ken rillo was talking about that in his presentation he's like this is why um you know everything in nature shows up as a fractalized kind of thing because that's how the energy moves and that's like our bodies are like that light that's why like lightning doesn't just shoot straight down to the ground in a beam because they try to say electricity follows the path of the least resistance well if that's true it would just be a straight beam straight down it wouldn't do all this like zigzagging well that's because the fractalization and that's why trees are like fractal and plants and everything else like everything honestly it, it's like if you just study nature it proves all this stuff it's like you just observe it you know mm -hmm. right so the energy so the electric energy is following the the um the scalar fractal yeah. lines and that's how we see what is really Invis should be invisible to us the scalar uh, structure of the universe is mm -hmm. because we can see the electric lines following it so yeah you're right this so the lightning gives us a clue about yeah the invisible magician of of, of scalar volumetric uh energy you know that's out there that's just there um literally breathing the universe it's astounding you know wow so mm -hmm. yeah going back to your theory about the 3d printed earth um it's funny to say it like that but the riverbeds look you you see how 3d printed homes are made and there's those layers 
there's they're made in layers that's exactly what that riverbed structure looked like as if a 3d printer would have made that and that's awesome i never thought about that but that's exactly right that's exactly right right yeah. so to me that's a, immediately what i thought when i saw that like because yeah. you've seen those videos of the 3d printed homes it's all done in layers and and it wouldn't take nothing for them to alternate layers of different materials but anyway um, your theory also, you mentioned a hollow core in the earth because of the, the toroid, the toroid, the torus field, and which would automatically make the earth hollow. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just interesting to me because the hollow earth theory has been around a long time and it's kind of fell to the wayside. Like pre, I watched this documentary pre 1930, that was a pretty common theory, actually. The hollow earth theory was, was very well known. And then, and then obviously academia took over and started, you know, manipulating history and giving us whatever version they want us to, to have. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole, the whole mantle and core, that's all just a theory they came up with to explain. Right. They're just like, Oh, this is what it is. Cause we just decided <laughs> right. it's like, that's it. Right. But there's all. some very compelling evidence that this proves that way in the early 1900s, that's just all been, have all been forgotten mm -hmm. well um i wanted to engage this uh in a research way so i, I a couple of years ago i wrote an article called uh, the hollow earth um what to expect uh when let's see what to expect when you're expecting inner earth relatives so it's it's basically like who's living in, in inside the the earth and what we should expect like who are we going to meet if we go yeah. to the hollow earth, if they come out, you know, yeah. um, so it goes into this, uh, this weird distortion that academia has made of, uh, or this fanciful theory that there's a molten core. Um, it goes back to this guy, Henry Cavendish, who did this experiment uh, to determine the density of the earth. And he did it with four, um, four balls, uh, lead balls, two large ones, two small ones, some wood and some wires, and that was supposed to determine the density of the earth. I mean, it was a, it kind of an ingenious idea, I have to admit it, but I, I feel that the, the sensitivity of the equipment would not be enough to determine the density of the earth. The earth. But this is, this is like touted as this astounding way that they figured out that the, the, the earth is yeah. essentially solid, but with a molten core. And so this is their way of saying, no, there's no hollow earth. You know, it's just like this guy that's, with some wood and some balls. That's I, I don't the science it. behind it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So uh, it's so so it's always been this, and academia is just a, one branch of the thought control matrix. There's the media and there's other things, but but academia is like it's it's consistent in doing things like um, having theories promoted that don't have evidence behind them. For instance, the Big Bang theory. That was mm -hmm. uh, I have a huge. I mean, I could go on for hours with tons there's of slides about how the Big Bang Theory has been falsified by Halton Arp and by astronomers who look at the sky. Halton Arp said, if you want to falsify the Big Bang Theory, you just point a telescope at the night sky. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Man, yeah. This is and then it's like, until you look into these things yourself, you like look behind the curtain, so to speak, then you realize, wait a second, these are these theories they're using to build all everything off of that are like a joke. Right. <laughs> like, there's nothing proving these are true and in fact there's a lot proving they're not true yeah i mean uh, i've got i've got so many books from the big bang this is seeing oh i i'm not sharing screen but let me just show you this book seeing red it's awesome yeah we can uh, see it yeah 
Oh, you can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have to. Oh, yeah. 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 Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, seeing red, um, Halt and Arp, and it's he's talking about redshift. Let's see if there it is. Oh yeah, redshift. Um, so seeing red, and and he's he just he's a he's a scientist, so he's got endless math and endless you know. And I can't I'm I I I can't follow him, but I can read his conclusions, and his conclusions are um that along with the other books that i have that go on and on about this some um, hilton radcliffe wrote a great book called the uh the static universe which is the main the main model that opposes the big bang universe and, and by static he, he theorists don't mean that there's no dynamic uh changes going on there's you know there's still suns being born suns dying galaxies merging but it's static in the sense that it's not expanding um, we don't see the evidence of that. And so this is a predictive theory, whereas the Big Bang universe is non-predictive. But that's academia's choice. And it's like, say yeah. what? You know? Right. Keep us in the yeah. dark. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the whole, so the theory of the hollow earth is that one, some people say it's like a, the, the crust, the earth's crust is like 300 miles thick all the way around. And there's a hole at the top and the bottom and, you know, how, and that's where the energy flows. And, and, but 300 miles is a thick crust. If you think about that, that's pretty, that's pretty substantial. And it would still allow for magma and all that stuff um, to occur. It just doesn't have to come from a core. And that's where they deceive us. If that's even accurate, you know, and that measurement comes from people who claim to have stumbled across inner earth civilizations in the early 1900s, sailing their ship into whatever. The Smoky God book is um, allegedly uh, an accurate, it's, it's basically you're reading a diary of a father and son who stumbled upon the entrance of inner earth. And they spent like two years there and came, came back, one survived and shared a story. And he was put in an insane asylum for the rest of his life because everybody at that time, everybody thought he was absolutely nuts. But right. when you when you read it and they provide a lot of details. And if you if you look at that as fact, as which is what he claims, things make a lot of sense. And yeah. they even discovered he even discusses the river system and how some of the rivers that we that are on the surface, some of the more well-known rivers like the Euphrates River, they all originate from inner earth. It's just like it's what it has the, above the, so below. The bones that uh in like siberia or something that um <clears throat> right they, so they all end up in these piles and they don't they yeah just... the, the mastodon bones that yeah, are that yeah, are abundant mastodon. in siberia according to this book um they're still living breathing species in in, in inner earth and uh when they die they, they they pretty much reside along these rivers that flow out into our oceans and when they die they uh, the bones somehow make their way into the river and then they all end up in this location in Siberia. And these people think that they're digging up these ancient bones and they're not all that ancient at think all. They're ancient, just like, oh, they all, they, like, it's like a burial site or something. Yeah, they thought it was some right. burial site, but he's yeah. saying this is just downstream of where they're ending up over time. And right. it's so all they're shocked that they're so well preserved, you know? Right, exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's and like, there's it's a fascinating book guys if you don't know what i'm talking about the smoky god olaf jansen i think um it's absolutely fast it's a quick read too um but i recommend found it. all this 
he found all this amazing uh, vegetation that was, you know, the fruit was larger, everything mm -hmm. was larger, yeah, right, and uh, more more healthy. It was just a really healthy environment, and people yeah. who were larger and uh, right. astounding. Um, but also, um, we know that caribou migrate north for the winter, and 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 so the 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 academia's line is that the the way they survive by migrating north in the winter is by eating lichen off of rocks, and you're like. Uh, you're insane. You're insane. <laughs> if you think a big caribou is going to be able to eat enough lichen to survive uh, the freezing cold of the north, but then you find out it's not freezing. As, as we know from testimonials from people who have sailed up there or have taken boat uh, ships up there, um, it gets warmer. It's almost it tropical. Warmer. It gets warmer, it gets warmer, and then you start to go. At a certain uh, then point, your, yeah. Then your compass stops working and you start to go. And then it know, goes gravitationally you're bound so it still feels like you're going this way but really you're going this way well uh, and that's a, is in the shell so you, you, right. still, you know it's the toroid that, yeah it's well that's yeah, a, it's a toroid it's a toroid yeah well that's important to understand also for people who are confused about gravity so that what they were told by these inner earth people is that the gravity belt is in the center of the crust so you got a 300 mile thick crust and then right. you have a gravity belt at 150 miles. Right, right, right. So gravity acts the same on top of it as below it. And yeah. you would never know the difference if you're standing upside down or not. And, and gravity doesn't come from the core. And right. so it's, that's another, that's just something important to understand if that is in fact the case. That's a key, that's a key thing because otherwise people just dismiss it. If they don't understand that that's, that's, mm. that would be physics, physics would tell us that the, that the gravity is in, in the shell, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that, that makes scientific sense, but also this hollow earth theory corroborates with, <clears throat> it agrees with the expanding earth theory because uh, the, and that actually agrees with a 3D or 4D printed earth uh, by an advanced race or races, which is that um, to be explained in this way, um, if you're an advanced race and you're, and you're having some fun dropping seeds, uh, planetary seeds throughout the galaxy, are you gonna drop a, are you gonna um, spend time making a large seed or are you gonna, or it's easier to make a small seed. So you, you build the small earth it's like Pan Pangea, except that there are no oceans. So if you take that supercontinent that's supposed to be floating in all these massive oceans and stuff, you, and you wrap it around itself, that's that's what I think the, the Earth originally was. Really small, just rocky, no oceans. But there are seams between what we call the continents, right? So the ancients printed it to have seams that would be an a place for expansion over time. So they, they create this engine of expansion by creating the volcanic mechanisms, which would spread the, the seams apart, spreading the continents apart. The continents remain intact. The seabeds grow over time, little by little, volcanic action, volcanic action. More matter is always coming in from the sun. It's, it's uh, magnetically charged electrons, uh, protons, and other ions. And this is James Maxlow's theory for the origin of the extra mass that's needed to grow an expanding Earth. Because otherwise, if the Earth expanded without more mass coming in from the sun, it would just have this really thin shell and this huge hollow space inside and then just break apart or something, you know? Yeah. But, but the mass actually does increase as the size of it, as the diameter increases. Um, so the seafloor spreading is recognized by geology. They call it seafloor spreading. 
And, and but they think that it's a zero sum game because the, there's this something called subduction with the plate tectonics theory. Right. They think as it expands, other plates are yeah going under, and so yeah. it's a zero sum game, and it's not expanding. But the expanding Earth theorists say that it it is the full diameter of the Earth is getting larger, the mass is getting greater, which means gravity is much stronger now than it was during, for instance. The that time of cool. Jurassic Park back in the day, 65 million years ago, before that, we had a smaller Earth. And that's why these larger organisms, not just animals, not just brontosaurus and allosaurus and T-Rex, but fungi and plants and insects, insects dragonflies, the size of, size of birds and, flying around. And, the and, giants, and, and who the knows, even humans, like giants. And yeah, humans, exactly. Humans. That's why they were giants. Exactly. Right. I mean, there's, there's they, they're just responding to their environment. They're, so mm-hmm. it's not that oh, I'm going to adapt through time and become, you know, um, let's say the, as the earth gets larger, we had to adapt through time to become smaller. No, we just naturally grow smaller in an electrical environment because gravity is electric. It's a dipole force. It's a radial dipole pole force that Wallace Thornhill has explained is a weak force that is the combination of all those um, radial meaning coming from the center of the earth out in every way, you know, um, and it the the the, um, the uh, particles are aligning in this vertical way radially, and that weak force of all those dipoles is gravity. It's an electric force. So um, <laughs> so uh, we have this thing called we call it gravity. It's 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 a it's electricity working on us, and. Uh, it creates a smaller body through time as the as the gravity gets larger it create the body says oh i can't grow as large because you know because i won't be able to move so it just it just makes a smaller through time in, in the plant queendom the animal kingdom fungi all of it it well, just gets smaller. and the fossil record shows that you know and if grays are us from the future that would explain why they're even smaller <laughs> i mean it's interesting it's- if you really think about that, they've they've shrunken down, shrunken down so much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, man, we've been going for a long time, and this has been absolutely mind blowing. Thank you so much for sharing all this information. We'll have to have you back on again and get deeper into some of this stuff. And uh, totally. and uh, I'm gonna take you up on that trip to Bosnia because my Love back you. my back needs some miraculous healing for sure. I'm gonna go with you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember you talking about that. Yeah, right. we should see what happens. I mean, with I mean. If I'm being perfectly honest, I'm in pain right now, just sitting here. You know, it's very uncomfortable for me to sit uh, for long period periods of time. So, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, this has been great. Seriously, thank you for sharing this. Do you have anything, any links, any uh, where can people find you? You want to share any of that? Well, there's a couple places to go. I think that that would that might be useful for people. Um, I think the Bosnian Pyramids YouTube channel is good, uh, really, really good. And then th- that's the backup channel. Samir said, I want a backup channel for my Bosnian Pyramids TV official channel. So if you want to go to the one that has all the different languages, Bosnian, Croatian, um, uh, you know, Spanish, uh, all the different languages of videos, English, go to Bosnian Pyramids TV. Mine is just mostly just English. Um, so um, those are really helpful. I would go, if you want to go to continental terraforming, those are all collected in a playlist called Artificial Riverbeds on my own personal channel. It's Jock Doubleday on YouTube. 
Um, there's also an archaeological explorations playlist. Um, and uh, there's 40 videos in the artificial riverbeds playlist, and it, and it documents the various features of the riverbeds, um, including the diagonal construction, the 45 degree diagonal construction. Right. Um, so that's those those sites are good. Then an American in Bosnia has articles, and that is the original site was on Google, so it's Blogspot. But then I switched over to WordPress, so the more recent ones are on WordPress. Okay, and then you'll have to send me all those links, and I can put those in the description also. If, okay, for people who didn't take all that in. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Jack, for joining us today. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Thank you for all the support, all the donations. We can't do this without you. We love you all. And um, I guess that's it. Until next time, have a great evening and we'll be back soon. He said, um, listen, give me two years. You'll never want to come back. Uh, the adventure of a lifetime and nobody will know you're gone. You get deployed at 17 and a half. And now I was deployed from the New York Athletic Club. And we got actually deployed right out of the locker room from, uh, you know, you get beamed up to the ship and then the ship takes off and you're gone for 20 years. That's a very hard pill to swallow, but that's exactly how I experienced it. I was taken at 10 years old. I was taken and I was worked through several black programs. I was privately owned in the beginning. I did six, six or seven years on earth. Uh, that's when all the stuff for the programs began for me. Uh, specifically uh, the tracking that they had been doing since I was a kid, it followed me all the way through the military. And at that point, when I got to Diego Garcia, that's where I was taken off planet. It like opened that floodgate for me. And then all of these recalls started coming in and I was just like, oh my gosh. And the way I was describing it, she's like, I've never had this with a client, but it, that you're, you're describing a parallel life right now. It's a combination of human and other species. Um, I was able to remember the name on their uniform, it's USS Arcorp. That was putting me through some kind of recruitment um, tests from age three until 12. And 12 is when I was potentially, well, taken. He said, uh, and with your scores, I guarantee you'll make commander and you'll make pilot. And I said, pilot of what? And he said, uh, four kilometer long starship. He told me what was gonna happen. He, he says, you volunteer for the program, we'll put you in, you'll do 20 years, we'll um, send you back in time 20 years, age regress you 20 years, wipe your memory, and you'll just wake up in bed like nothing happened. It's almost beyond words, it's beyond comprehension of how this could happen. Whoever's masterminding this, you know, the Air Force, you know, working with extraterrestrials, working with a lot of Pretty wild technology, which I'll also get into. It's really beyond fathomable. It's beyond fathomable.